gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe, is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And we've kind of been doing a little bit of a series when we a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what unites us, and today we're going to kind of talk about where we fit in as citizens and some of the things surrounding that today and kind of getting along a little bit and how we should view some different things. And then we have another episode next week with a guest that will kind of fit into the same sort of topics. So, uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about is kind of two kingdoms and and one kingdom. And it's not going to be like, a, that's not the purpose of this episode. So we'll just give kind of a, a basic summary of those. But one of the things that Rachel and I both wanted to make sure to point out, we're linking in the episode notes, is um, the podcast with our pastor, Todd Bordeaux. And um, they, the first series they kind of did in that podcast was on the kingdom of God. And that is just really an excellent, excellent series. So that is one thing we're going to link in the episode notes. So, well, do you want to give just a quick summary of two kingdoms, Rachel? Sure. And it's one of the things that I think gets um, bandied around a lot. Talk People talk about two kingdoms or um, uh, radical two kingdoms, R2K and um, accusations and all sorts of, of like mudslinging that happens with this. But when we're talking about two kingdoms, it's kind of a very classic approach that we're taking here. Um, I guess kind of an old school classic two kingdoms approach. And the idea is that as Christians, we live in two kingdoms. We live in um, the 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 world around us, the the kingdom of whatever nation we're in, we live as citizens, um, and our citizenship is, again, whatever nation we belong to. Uh, we also, as Christians, live in the kingdom of God, 
and it is a spiritual kingdom uh, where the other would be a physical kingdom. And in the spiritual kingdom, obviously, uh, Christ is king. Uh, this is not to say that God, Christ are not king over everything, but we're speaking uh, in the spiritual versus the physical and in government around us versus uh, the church matters. So, in the spiritual kingdom, um, this is where uh, the church falls, and this is where our um, our work as Christians is to advance the kingdom of God uh, as a spiritual kingdom in everything that we do. Is that a fair? Yeah, that that's really great. You, there's some different things you'll hear, and as as Rachel mentioned, you know, there I don't think there's a doctrine out there that you won't find extremes, mm-hmm. and there are some people that don't have a clear understanding of kind of historic two kingdoms versus some of the extremes out there. I think the extremes are pretty rare, as far as to the the greatest extreme. Some of the things that you hear, but some people will think, oh, you hold to two kingdoms, and automatically assume, you know, you're on this extreme side. But what when I was reading this week, um, and I there's actually some really good quotes from Calvin that kind of distinguish these things, but, and I won't read them because they're very, very long. But one of the things with Calvin and either and also other Reformed figures where they distinguish bet- between God's redemptive work in, of salvation and then the earthly work of providence. And you'll also hear things like the already and the not yet. And there's a, there's a lot of things that you'll hear with this. And this is something that I had kind of come to the conclusion of these things without knowing it had a name, where I saw this kind of two two separate spheres, I guess is the yeah, I couldn't put words to words to it. And and one of the important things to remember, even when we're talking about two kingdoms, is that Christ rules over all. It's not like Christ only rules over the church and doesn't rule over here, but it's it's in different ways. I used to have this shirt. Uh, when I was in high school, you know, those really silly, <laughs> sappy Christian shirts, Lord of all or not at all. But he he does rule all things. We're definitely not saying, you know, Christ is only involved. God is still sovereign. God is, is still in control of even those those things in the secular sphere. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll hear it spoken of, I think maybe more in Lutheran circles, um, kingdom of the left and kingdom of the right. Um, and some things, and that's not political. Uh, so sorry if my dog is noisy. Um, she's being a little bit noisy right now. Now, one kingdom can also, I think, in the same way that there can be extremes in two kingdoms, there can also be different extremes in in one kingdom. And there's some different kinds of one kingdom. And I believe we talked about it in another episode. Um, and I don't remember which one, but if I can figure it out, I will put it in the episode notes. But um, there's something called neo-Calvinism. You'll hear about Abraham Kuyper, and you'll hear about something called transformationalism. So, to transform the culture, to make it more Christian, um, where almost there isn't a big distinction between the, the work of the church and um, the work of society. I mean, there is. We still have the church, but you'll see a that the goal seems to be to transform society and, and make it more Christian. You'll also see some extreme, even more extreme views with um, theonomy and some of those things that we see around in some Christian reform circles, even. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know, you can see this extreme 
you know, we're not in talking about this, we're not aiming at one uh, political view or another that this, these kinds of extremes uh, find uh, a home, both in the political left and the political right. Um, you, know, you have, um, you know, it, it's the root understanding of how to, to view um, the, the kingdom Right, in the kingdom of God and the work as the church that is underneath both, you know, say the Christian nationalists on one one extreme and um, some of the 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 strong, uh, uh, I guess to use a um, a stereotypical term, but the the social justice warrior kind of side of the left, or if you want to look at it, you know, it it it's just as examples. It, both of those sides, even though they take very different political views about how to change society, the ultimate goal is that through the actions as Christians, we are called to change society so that it looks like X, Y, or Z ideal Christian society. And I think that in kind of modern evangelicalism, it's the default view mm-hmm. um, back in the 80s when Rachel and I were growing up, you had the um, the moral majority and you had these Christian organizations that were Christian and political. And the goal was to elect Christian candidates and um, to make better Christian laws and society more Christian. So I think we see some of the um, results of that in, even though it's not exactly the same thing, you still see remnants of even some of that. Um, and it's definitely an foundational underlying idea there. I was going to say, and even that was a, a response to some of the, the more mainline denominations and a social uh, approach to Christianity um, in, in changing uh, various aspects and against, say, um, like death penalty would be one of them. And there are other um, kind of social programs to improve uh, the life of people in the U S or in other countries that uh, were, were championed by, um, by the left and by left leaning mainstream churches. And that was their view of this is what it means to be a good Christian. Um, and so each of these movements have, we've seen the effects in our churches and our societies as they, they kind of compete for what it means to be a good Christian. I have a family member that lives in another country that is, believes strongly that um, the way that we, he's, believes in a sort of one kingdom and believes strongly that we make society more Christian through socialism. And right. so you, you can see, you can kind of, kind of see both sides and mm-hmm. we'll get to, it's okay to think that society would be better with, with different policies, which, so we're not saying that there, there are ways in which I think society, society would be better through um, different laws and, and change and things like that. So that that's not the problem, but the the end goal is what we're talking about. Well, and that's where, you know, as Christians, we live in both kingdoms, 
right? So we talk about the two kingdom approach and we have responsibilities and rights in both kingdoms. And certainly as citizens of our nations, whichever nation we're, we're a citizen of, we have the rights, you know, if it's voting or if it's having a voice in politics or whatever, we all have those rights that we can use to petition or to um try to change the government or change policies around us or improve the life of people in our country. And it's perfectly valid for us to do those things as Christians um, because we are citizens of our countries. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think on that some extremes of more of a one kingdom view would believe that it is part of your Christian faith to be involved politically. And so that's the important distinction um, where my Christian faith informs what I believe about society and and things that I think are better for my neighbor and things like that. But and and I'm somebody who's been involved in politics. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. not because I want to make it make society more Christian. Well, and that's where, like, you know, in, in the last for those of us here in the U.S., in the last few elections, especially you hear from from both sides, both left and right, um, you can't be a good Christian unless you support X policy and X candidate. And if you don't support the same candidate and policies that I do for these reasons, then you are undermining your Christian faith for these reasons, right? And that's, it is an approach that, you know, adds to, of course, like we talked about, you know, we, we should be able to to get along and have civil conversations and disagreements. It undermines that, but it also really seriously undermines what the purpose of the church is. I, I don't know if I mentioned this when we talked about what unites us, but I, I'm going to mention it now, maybe for the first time or maybe for the second. But some of my favorite podcasts are not Christian. I've, I've got some, I love Kaisis as one of my favorite Christian podcasts, but I have some favorite podcasts that aren't Christian. And the reason that I like these particular podcasts is they're centered a lot on um, being able to have discussions, being able to have fruitful and respectful conversations with people that you disagree with. That, mm-hmm. And I, I love that. And I, I want us to be able to do that better daily, weekly with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's okay to disagree on a whole slew of things. Even on this, you know, Rachel, I believe in two kingdoms, but I have good friends that hold to one kingdom. Mm-hmm. And and we still love each other and get along and have fruitful discussions even when we disagree. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, when we're talking about this, like Colleen said, you know, she and I agree about uh, a two kingdoms approach, but um, you know that that doesn't mean our view is the only view that Christians can have. So that would be a very un-two kingdoms approach to take. So that you have to agree with me or else um, on things that are not matters of of salvation. Right? Um, I do think that how you take what view you take will affect or can affect other aspects, and you know maybe challenging in various ways, but. Um, so I mentioned you know, the purpose of the church. What is the purpose of the church uh, from a two kingdoms perspective, Colleen? Yes. It, I, one of the things I was thinking about is if I've known some kind of, and probably would be seen as more one extreme. So I'll say this 
and then talk about how we view the work of the church. But um, there, there are churches that believe in finding someone among them to have run for office. And even as a church raising money for them, um, I know of a church that uh, used some saved money to help one of their members get into office because one way they believe that uh, society will be more Christian if we get more Christians in office. Uh, And that is what we do not believe about that. So the purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, to, um, you know, hopefully expand the kingdom of God. Uh, Of course, that's a spiritual kingdom. So that work is actually done by the Holy Spirit. Um, But we are called as Christians to share about the faith that we have, the hope that we have, and uh, that the salvation that we have that is only available through Christ. One of the things um, that you'll hear sometimes in reform circles is the the marks of the church. And I think that's it's another thing to add to what Rachel said, which is the preaching of the word, the administering of the sacraments and church discipline. Um, those are uh, these are things that we should find in in the church. You know, Rachel, you and I have talked here here's a great example. You and I have talked before about churches dealing poorly with abuse in the church, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If I'm pretty sure if I went to my pastor and said, I stole a thousand dollars, he would tell me to go do the right thing. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't say, well, the church will just deal with it. He would say, you need to go tell the police what you did or you know, something right. like that. And I think that sometimes when churches say, oh, you molested children, well, we'll deal with it in the church. That That's not the right answer. That's not the job of the church. This needs to be taken to the civil authorities. And so seeing that distinction that there's work that the church does and there's discipline that the church does, but recognizing that there is work that the civil authorities and discipline that the civil authorities are responsible for and seeing that distinction. I think that's a good point. Um you know, it also gets into um, the issue of vocation, right? As Christians, um, we may have any number of jobs or, or callings or work that God has uh, equipped us for, um, plumber, house painter, um, teacher, uh, nursery worker, uh, politician, uh, doctor, lawyer. These are all valid jobs that Christians uh, may have. And as Christians, we should do those jobs uh, to the best of our ability. We should do them faithfully, uh, honestly. We should um, be fair and and um, and kind in all that we do. Uh, we should do a good job. We should serve our uh, employees, our employers well, um, because ultimately all the work that we do is to God's glory. Um, but by the same token, um, there may not be a particularly Christian way to do plumbing, for example, right? So, or uh, a Christian house painter, right? These are, that person may be a Christian, that person may be a house painter or a plumber, 
but is there a particularly Christian way to do that job, right? And that's a discussion that you see a lot um, around Two Kingdoms ideas. Um, what would you say or add to that, Colleen? You know, I think about this story was told about two and a half years ago on our podcast, but I think it really makes the point that you're talking about, Rachel. And vocation really became uh, a topic uh, during the Reformation. And Mm -hmm. so there's a story that's been passed down. I, I probably won't say it perfectly, but someone came to Martin Luther and said, I understand the gospel now. I'm so excited. Um, what can I do for the Lord? And Luther said, what do you do now? And he said, well, I make shoes. Then go and make your shoes well and sell them at a fair price. Mm-hmm. And that is what a Christian plumber does. A Christian mm-hmm. plumber does his job well, does it at a fair price, and does so to the glory of God. Right. Exactly. Uh, Luther has other things that he talks about, too, about you know the work that we do. Um, in the home as well. So, you know, if, if you're, um, he says changing babies, poopy diapers, <laughs> mm-hmm, right. Or feeding your family or cleaning the house, whatever the things that you do, we're supposed to be called to do our work well and to honor God. Um, and you know, these are, are, are good things for us as, as believers and, and they can be a way to witness to others around us. Um, by the way, our approach to work, by our um, our faithfulness and our honesty and what we do, so that someone might ask us, "Have been working with them?" You know, and notice that you know you handled this situation this way. Why? Why? You know, or I noticed that you know when this bad thing happened, you responded this way, and I want to know more about that. And so, it, you know, it's not that we're so divided in our two kingdoms or in our in our spheres that you know our Christian faith never. Crosses over into the rest of what we do. Um, that would be fairly impossible. We are believers, and everything we do should be touched by our faith. But um, it means that you know you don't have to go about your work and the things that you do with you know all you're going to do is evangelize, and you know whether or not you get your work done. That's so you know your real goal at work is to make sure that everybody there is a Christian, and you know that's a different approach and a different extreme that we should. But when we don't need to go to either extreme, we can be good employees and we can also be Christians in what we do. One of the things I've had, I've had girls reach out to me, uh, sometimes new moms, and they feel a little bit discouraged. Like, I feel like I'm not doing anything for the Lord. I'm just taking care of the baby. Well, then you are. Do that to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. And we talked recently about kind of different seasons of life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes, you know, your main vocation is changing poopy diapers and cuddling babies and feeding them. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you're not doing anything for the Lord. Exactly. Um, those kids that you take care of in your home and the people that you take care for, um, if you're living and, and caring for um, uh, aging parents, if you're um, taking care of other family members or you know, whatever those things are that you're doing, um, those are uh, important jobs and they are needed and they are God honoring in what we do. Yeah. And I, I really liked your, your point, Rachel, that there, there are instances where someone says, you know, I realize this about you, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
that sometimes that even does open doors for sharing the gospel. Well, what one of the things I think that's kind of a a good segue to the next thing we wanted to talk about is what does it look like to be citizens of our country? And you know, we have had people from over a hundred different countries listen to this podcast. I haven't mm-hmm. checked recently. And so what it looks like, we have we have a a bunch of people that listen in Japan. I, I don't know who they are, but we it's often in our top five um countries. And so things may look different for them than they might look to an American um, or to somebody in the UK. So there, there may, there may be differences, but there's some, there are some basic um, things that we, that really should direct all, all of what we do. One of the things Luther also talked about was what it, what it means to love your neighbor. I think that right there is uh, one of the most important things we do. And and like the passage, you know, the the our first response should not be, well, how do I define who my neighbor is? Right. That, that's not, and we we all do it. Like it's like, well, do I have to love that person? Well, yes, probably. <laughs> probably if you're asking the question, yes, probably. Um so how do we show love to our neighbors? How do we uh show them kindness? Um and lately I've been thinking a lot about and what would our society look like if we all practice this? Um, but not in a transformational way, just the general. How would we how would the world be better if we were all nicer to each other? Um, you know, it's uh yeah, because there's two there's two different things. There's how we interact with one another as believers. And if you haven't listened to our what unites us, you mm-hmm. should. But then how we also, because other believers are my neighbor, but so is my next door neighbor that's not a believer or um, my previous next door neighbor that was a Mormon. You and I have talked a lot, Rachel, just some of feeling discouraged how Christians treat one another these days. Mm-hmm. But I always think it's like one of my favorite quotes of the last 10 years. Uh, it was an apologist, to, and I've mentioned it before, but he was talking about some disagreement that I don't even understand between apologists. And this was probably at least five years ago. And I could probably find it. I don't remember who, who wrote it, but he, he was talking about, you know, this side of the debate is calling the other side liberals, which is unfair. Not all this other side are liberals. They just have this certain view. And then the liberals are calling or the so-called liberals, which aren't necessarily liberal, are calling the other side something. And then he finally said, how do we look to the world when we treat one another like this? So one way we love our neighbor is not even, you know, our next door neighbor that's not a Christian, but it's also in how we love one another as an example to the world. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, our our modern Western society talks about love as as acceptance, right? So whatever someone does, you have to accept them and accept. And that's not that's not love, right? In the sense of in in the scriptural sense of what is love, love is wanting what is best for someone. And sometimes that means we have to like with especially with close friends, family, and you have to say, you know, I love you. This is wrong, and you're going to hurt yourself. You know, whatever that looks like and however we do that, but we're doing it out of love for them that we want the, the best for them. Um, 
And so love doesn't mean there are never disagreements, but it means that always in our actions, we are, we are working towards what is best for others. There's something that happens um, in Christian circles where they almost justify being a jerk. Oh, mm. well, this is how I show love. Okay. I don't think that is almost ever fruitful. So I'll give a personal example. Um, I have a cousin who is gay. And so my husband and I have worked very hard on knowing what it means to love him. He knows, he, he knows we think his, he grew up in a Christian home. He knows what we think. We have conversations, but we find ways to show him love and be an example of Christ to him too. And so I don't know that there's a black and white way to navigate that, but seeking the Lord and his word in navigating those situations with wisdom and love, there are ways to do it where you don't have to be a jerk about it. Another uh, good passage um, or another good thought here from scripture is that we're called to live at peace with others. Um, of course, from Romans 12, if, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Love that passage. Um, One of my Peter's, favorites. I, I just, I go back and meditate on that a lot. First mm-hmm, uh, Peter 2, Peter urges the, the believers, as I urge you as aliens and strangers, just abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation, which I think that goes along with the living at peace that we're to live in a way that, you know, even when we're people say ugly things about us as Christians, that it's proven untrue because people see that we're actually kind, peaceful, loving people who are not, you know, out to destroy and harm others. Um, our pastor, and we'll have this linked, our pastor has a, did a sermon series through First Peter, which I think is really, really helpful and really useful in this discussion, talking about what it is or how it is that we should live as uh, believers in uh, a pagan world and a pagan culture, uh, which is increasingly what I believe us as uh, Christians in the West are going to see, um, and, and very useful to see how it is that we should treat others and remembering who our real enemies are. Right? And our enemies are not um, those around us who uh, believe differently from us. They're not the, our neighbors who are uh, non-believers. Uh, you know, the enemies that we have as Christians are uh, the spiritual enemies. Um, they are um, you know, the evil one and the, the powers of evil around us. That That's the real enemy that we have as Christians. The others are people who we disagree with but that we pray for and hope that they will come to come to the faith and, the, and we work towards advancing the kingdom in that way. And so I really appreciated his series and how it draws out what it means for us to live, living at peace to um, how we should view those around us and treat others. Amen to that. What, one of the things that you'll hear talked about in uh, Christian circles is common grace, and um, you'll often hear the just, I mean, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. I think that it's tempting to think 
your non-Christian neighbor can never have true happiness or um, good things that happen to them in their lives and things like that. And there are non-Christians with good marriages. Mm-hmm. And good job. Uh, yes, that, you know, are living comfortable lives. I had a non-Christian neighbor that asked me for marriage advice, you know, and there were some I could offer to her. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's helpful to remember providence and and common grace even in the secular world. And even I've had experiences where non-Christians have done something helpful for me or beneficial or been there for me. My Mormon neighbor would make me food items and bring them over. And I think remem- remembering that these are neighbors that there, I didn't mention it before, but there's, I think sometimes we, it's easy to become so that we don't kind of go outside of our comfort zones. So maybe the only people you associate with is church and stuff. When, when I was growing up, they had the Christian yellow pages. So you could hire a Christian plumber and a Christian this. And, but, you know, at the same time, I mean, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong if you, if you have, uh, you know, someone who has a business, who's a friend or who's a Christian that you want to help support their business. Right. And that's perfectly valid. And we all have those kinds of things uh, that we do, you know, but the point is that because of common grace, because of God's restraining hand, um, because of his mercy, uh, there there are people around us who are not believers who have um, gifts and abilities that we can appreciate and we can um, find useful, find helpful. And there are ways that we can work alongside others, uh, even if we disagree, towards common goals. I think probably the point I was trying to make is just because someone is a Christian doesn't necessarily mean they are absolutely a better plumber. Um, and hopefully they are a great plumber, but you may find a Muslim plumber that's a really good plumber, and that's okay. Another one about how we should live as citizens, and, and this one is is one that has become more controversial, even though I don't think it should be. Um, uh, and this is, there's we're linking to a sermon that um, our pastor gave at the end of the year um, that was really helpful on on thinking through these things, but um, about how we should respond to our government leaders and what we're called to. And the first thing I want to read is from first Timothy two. So from first Timothy two um, says, first of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for Kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And, so I think the first thing we have to say is that we should be praying for our nation's leaders, whatever nation we live in, uh, whoever those leaders are, whether we voted for them or agree with them or not, we should be praying for them because with the goal that we can live peaceful lives um, and that we can continue to live our lives well and uh, hope to advance the spread of the gospel uh, through living in a peaceful country. And Many Christians in many nations right now um, are not living in peaceful countries, and uh, we should continue to pray for them as well. 
Yes, we have so many Christians around the world that um, really have difficult lives. I don't think I can even fully grasp. This has been such a big discussion this mm-hmm. last year. And I think I mentioned it on our episode with Todd. So if you didn't listen to that with Todd and Osvaldo, listen to that. Uh, but the last year and a half, we have ha- I have had, and they've tried to post it in the group, but I usually write to them privately, uh, women that say, our church isn't making people wear masks, should I leave? Or our church is making people wear masks, should I leave? And my answer is always the same. I don't think this is a reason to leave a church. Uh, I mean, there may be other reasons too, um, but that that alone. We, we agree with the theology. We love our pastor, blah, 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 but there's just one thing. And I think this has been, I, I feel that so many pastors have, this has been a very difficult season for pastors and elders mm-hmm. trying to know the right thing to do. And the sort of judgment that I see online over what a pastor does one way or the other is heartbreaking to me. Like, this is the hill we're going to die on. I don't think this is the hill to die on. I know some people do think it's the hill to die on, but I don't believe it is the hill to die on. And unless we're being told to do something that is completely contrary to God's law, we should obey our leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's our pastor, I mean, we've talked about what that means and doesn't mean in other episodes. So obviously, I'm not saying go to a church that's controlling or spiritually abusive, but having some basic respect for our faithful pastor and elders. And our, our civil leaders, um, those around us that are, who are in authority and, and responsibility over us. And, you know, this is, again, uh, if we live in nations like we do here in the U.S. where we have a voice, uh, we certainly have a place and a way to petition, to to vote, work, to change um, uh, the legal system or laws or ordinances. Um, we also can vote on our leaders. And these are all ways that we have, um, we can have a voice uh, in, in what happens around us. But you know, when, the go-to passage or the, the passage that's really helpful here is, is looking at Romans 13 um, and remembering that when Paul wrote this, he was writing to people who are living in a pagan nation, nation with leaders who were antagonistic towards Christians. So this is not that he, they were living in a place where, you know, the, the government was Christian and, and welcoming and, and um, you know, applying Christian laws and, and doing the things that would make it easier or beneficial to be believers. Life was very difficult for Christians, and the government was, was dangerous towards them. And what Paul tells them, though, is that every person is to be in, in subjection or in submission to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those which are exist are established by God. And the whole passage is really good to go through and read. It's not a very long chapter. Um, and it calls on us to, to obey the leadership around us because God is the one who's ultimately in charge and it's him we're obeying. Now, like those, the Christians in the early church, if we are called to do something that is clearly against scripture, then we should politely, respectfully disagree. We should not submit to things that are ungodly. Um, now, the list of those things that are actually 
unbiblical, ungodly, is probably not as large as much of the discussion about it right now. Um, so I think it's important that we be careful how we uh, talk about our government leaders, how we um, think about them. And I think we should be careful to uh, be respectful in our disagreement and we should be praying for them regularly uh, that they would lead well, that they would lead honorably, that uh, whoever they are and however God has put them in, uh, in leadership for us, that they would, um, if they are not believers, that they would come to faith. These are things that we should be praying for our leaders. Absolutely. I think it's very easy to think, oh, well, I can do that, but I don't think that person over there can do it. But really, maybe spend some time meditating on some of these passages. Like we've said a lot from Romans. I think Romans 12, 13, 14 mm-hmm. are, are all extremely helpful. We'll get to four, 14 in a minute. Um, and First Peter, the whole book. Yes, and First Peter too. I so haven't good. listened. I think oh. I've only listened to a few of Todd's first Peter, I'll have to go listen to more. But when I was like 19, uh, my pastor went through first Peter and it was like one of my favorite sermon series ever. And I still remember parts of it. That was a very long time ago. <laughs> and one of the things we're definitely not saying is you, you can't be involved in politics or in policy change, or, you know, there, there are many ways you can do that. We're also not telling you, you have to be involved in political things. Uh, there are different ways for all of us. You know, some people are just involved by voting. I've done things like uh, going door to door for candidates and making phone calls and stuff. And I enjoyed doing it. And uh, I'm in my, the ways that I've been involved politically, I really try to be mindful of being driven by love of neighbor. Mm. So I believe in this policy because I think it is better for my neighbors, those sorts of things. Um, One of the things that I think we have to be careful of, especially in Christian circles, it's so, so easy to do if you've ever heard of kind of a herd mentality. So behaving and thinking in ways that conform with others in the group, it's okay to have different views. Um, to really seek the Lord on on some of these things. I, I think it's very easy, especially for us as Christians, to fall into that. I want to be accepted by the group, so I'm going to believe in these things. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about theological in any way, but I'm talking about you know views on society and politics and stuff. Yeah, I think that's. That's very important. Um, going back to being good neighbors, you know, how, how do we treat each other? Um, mm-hmm. How do we treat each other in disagreement? Um, one passage that I think uh, from the Old Testament, I think is very uh, applicable to us as Christians living um, in nations where um, it's a pagan world around us. And then the Old Testament, when the, um, Jews were taken into captivity into Babylon, and God's talking to them. You know, the promise was that they would t- come out of it, of exile; they would be returned to the promised land. And of course, this pictures um, that we live in exile. Um, as First Peter says, we live as strangers and aliens in our land, and that this isn't ultimately our home. And we're looking forward to being taken home and to the new heavens, the new earth, where you know that. 
the it will be the one kingdom. The spiritual and the physical will be one kingdom, but the, we're not there yet. And so in Jeremiah, this passage gets, um, I think, misapplied quite a bit in a different way, in transformationalism way. But I think it gives us some some keys to how we should live as we wait in uh, in this life. And he tells them, uh, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give daughters to your husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, etc. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. And you know, the point of the passage, he was speaking very specifically to the, the people who are in exile, warning them that they were going to be there for a while. And it wasn't they weren't coming back immediately. Um, and telling them to go ahead and live and to be peaceful and to to prosper where they were. And I think that's what we're called to. We are called to live peacefully and to prosper and where the Lord has put us and that we should uh, want the best for those around us uh, because in that it blesses us and them. And uh, But always with the eye on this world and the things that happen here are not our home. They are not the the end for us. It's not, you know, our hope or our future. Our hope and our future is not in whichever political party holds office in whatever country we're in. Our hope and our future are in Christ. And while we, we may certainly vote and hope for better things or changes and things, you know, ultimately, um, our hope is in uh, in the Lord, and we look forward to His return. Okay, I don't know why, but I keep thinking of the old song, and it's really kind of an obnoxious song, but it keeps coming to my brain. And it, I'm not saying that this song has great theology. It's a really old song, but it's that one, you know, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably haven't heard it in 30 years, but there, there's yeah. a little bit, there is a little bit of truth to that. Um, mm-hmm. Our, our hope is in the, in the not yet, and one day in eternity Um, and not in, you know, different things in society. I mean, we should still want things that are are good for our neighbor. And work for them, right? Like we don't, you know, that the, the old stereotype that, you know, we're so uh, heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Like we right. want to have good things here. We want to be kind and, and loving and we, we should want to be good stewards and we should want to take care of what God has given us and the things around us. Like those are, those are good things. We should want the people around us to have better lives. You know, those are admirable goals. Um, but just what we put our hope in is not in the things that we build here, but in, the relationship that we have with the Lord. Yeah. My husband and I now don't have uh, kids at home. We were, we were even thinking, I wonder if we could volunteer somewhere, maybe like at a soup kitchen or a crisis pregnancy centers or something, something like that. Uh, You know, uh, my old church would, there was a, a Christian men's uh, homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. And there was men from our church that would uh, teach some classes there, like 
how to have a job interview, like mm-hmm. what to do in a job interview and help them get appropriate clothes and um, GED class and things like that. And there's, there's so many different ways. I'm not saying everybody's called to that, but there's so many different ways we can, can love our neighbor and even people that are struggling out there. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked a little bit about Christian liberty, just a little bit, because what we talked about is what it is that unites us. Mm. And I think that one of my uh, things that I, I'm pulling up a passage, which I'm going to in a second, um, one of the terms that you'll hear right now, so this is this is my frustration, but you'll hear it out there, just go on Twitter for five minutes, you'll uh, hear about identity politics. And kind of the definition is the tendency of a group of people, so maybe a religious group or race or social background, to form exclusive political alliances. And what one of the things we need to not do that as Christians, our our unity is in Christ and what he's done for us, not in politics. But I think it's important to have a, a clear understanding of, of Christian liberty and which things. I have felt so much. I think social media has brought so much great stuff, and the internet has given us resources beyond resources, not enough time in the day for all the Christian resources. We can we can read Calvin's commentary in two minutes without owning it, and um, there's websites with a gazillion different commentaries when we're studying a passage. And I love that. I I really do. But I think there's a flip side, especially in social media, where we've become so judgmental with one another on things that are Christian liberty. And any woman who's been in a mommy group, we've talked before about the mommy wars. There's judgment on how you give birth and how you parent your newborn and what you feed them, and it, the list goes on and on and on. We have to remember which things are Christian liberty. One one of my favorite passages on this, and I know we mentioned it briefly a couple of weeks ago, but Romans 14, I just want to read uh, just a little part of it. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let's let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And I'm going to skip down to verse five. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I, When I was reading this passage um, earlier this week, I thought you could fill so many things into there. You could fill all kinds of things into eating meat and vegetables or steaming mm-hmm. one day. There are so many topics that separate us. Christian mm-hmm. liberty topics. There, there are a lot of things that are not black and white. And maybe you think that what you've chosen is the wiser way. But you know what? Your neighbor may think what she's chosen is the wiser way. And we need Mm -hmm. to just have some more love, grace, even if you think you're absolutely right. This is a, if this is a Christian liberty issue, the judgment and being unkind and lack of love, that needs to stop. Absolutely. Because those things are, are things that are that kind of judgment 
judgmentalism, that kind of um, harsh words and unkindness towards brothers. Those are things that that the scripture teaches very strongly are, are sinful. Those are wrong things that we know straight out, black and white, we should not be doing. Right. Um, you know, think of the book of James and all of what it says about the sins of the tongue. And there are many. Um, you know, this is, we should not be biting and devouring each other over things that are matters of Christian liberty. So, Romans 14 later on says, this is kind of the, the mm-hmm. clincher. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment. For, I'm sorry. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. And yeah, just all, all these, just read Romans and First Peter. Yes. <laughs> um, in First Peter 1, where it talks about loving one another fervently or deeply, like what that's talking about are brothers and sisters in Christ. So love your neighbor as yourself. Absolutely. Now love your brothers and sisters fervently or deeply. And, and what does that look like? You know, in this discussion, um, as we talk about these things, uh, the objection is going to be raised and the question is going to be raised. But aren't we as Christians living in the United States, aren't we living in a Christian nation? And doesn't that have special meaning um, for us as believers? Um, so I'm going to let you take that first. How would you answer that, Colleen? Well, I would say first, um, there's so much history out there. There's a big difference between the United States and religious religious nations. Um, mm-hmm. There's uh, a lot of nations in Israel, for instance, that had a state church. Even read about Calvin's time. That's it's not what we're um, about mm-hmm. here in the United States of America. Yes, we had we have Christians that came here, um, but we aren't a theocracy. So, if you don't know what a theocracy is, it's a form of government in which a deity or some type is recognized as the supreme ruling authority. Um, and, you know, may even think that that ruling authority gets some sort of divine guidance. And so, I was, I was telling Rachel that I was, uh, what was, I was watching a podcast, uh, and it was a roundtable discussion, and they were talking about this very thing. Because there there are things in American history that you might say. I mean, you can find you can find Christian or Judeo-Christian things in American history, but we've never been a specifically Christian nation. There's nothing about that in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights that we are a quote unquote uh, Christian nation. That was very specific that they did not uh, want that. But there are religious nations. There's actually quite a few of them. And there's even, there's nations that their heads of state have to have a particular religious affiliation. So, we were, obviously, that's not the case here in the United States of America. We have, we have Christians and atheists and Catholics and Muslims and Buddhists and about every sort of religion represented by politicians in the United States of America. Um, But there's, all, all kinds of nations, Iran, Lebanon, uh, so many that that are ruled from a religious um, pers- perspective. It's it's done in different ways. We definitely, you guys, are probably familiar with some of our Muslim 
countries with what's gone out with Afghanistan. Um, their new government is specifically Muslim, um, but that is that is not the United States. <laughs> well, even in like even in the UK, you know, the Queen, who is not the the you have Parliament that actually handles government, but the Queen is is also the head of the Church um, of England. So you have you know that that blending of church and state in a way that you know, the U.S. was formed not to do, right? Not that, I mean, there is certainly religious freedom uh, in the U.K., um, clearly. Uh, It's just there are many different ways that countries have gone about things. And we're speaking about America. It's, we're not a theocracy, and we have, we're intentionally not a theocracy. Um, And I think two things um, that we need to be careful about when we're talking about these things. One is, um, there's a, a, a tendency uh, to to look at those Christians in the U.S., to look at the promises that are made in the scriptures to the nation of Israel and apply that to America as a nation. And as we've talked about in the previous episode, uh, America is not Israel. Um, for all the things, and I am very proud to be an American, I think very highly of our history, um, and I'm thankful for the religious freedom that we have as as a, uh, in the U.S. America is not Israel. So, the promises that are made that do have application to Christians, individual Christians, and the church as a whole, as, in, as all the church, um, the invisible church, across the world, um, those promises that are made to Israel that, that do apply to us today, um, they don't apply to us as a nation, a political nation, or any political nation um, in existence today. They, they, just, they don't. Uh, so, we have to be careful about trying to, to take those verses out of context and apply them here and say, well, see, now this is what it means to be a good citizen, and this is how we should live, and this is what we're working towards. Um the other danger, we mentioned uh, theonomy earlier, and it goes along with the idea of a theocracy. There are those who want us to have um, a, a state that is governed um, by Christian leaders in a way where Christian um, biblical law is enforced um, in the U.S. And I saw a, a thread recently on on Twitter talking about uh, about theonomy and the dangers here. And I, I want to reference some of it because I think it pulls in a lot of uh, what we're talking about here when we, we're talking about um, Christian liberty, when we're talking about the purpose of the church. Um, and it's very similar to some things that um, our pastor has talked about. So it talks about how theonomy turns people into uh, presumed legal experts. And it creates a system where everyone has to come to the pastor and ask, you know, what should I do? How do I live? How do I do this thing? How do I do that thing? And not just, you know, how do I apply this verse to my life or what does this mean in scripture? But, you know, um, you know where should I send my kids to school? Who should I marry? Uh, how should I vote? All the things in life, you know, how should I dress? These become, they have to be you know, mediated down from the, the leadership. And, what it turns into is that there's no Christian freedom. There's no Christian liberty. It's simply um, the leaders telling us 
here's the way to live and here's how you have to do things and it's our way or you're not being biblical. And what that undermines, and this is a point that our pastors made that I really appreciate, is that what it undermines is that all of us individually as believers have the same spirit indwelling and the spirit that we have indwelling us is united us to Christ and is working in us. And we, we all have that relationship then, direct relationship with God, and we don't need someone mediating it, mediating the relationship between God and us beyond Christ. That's it. He's the only mediator that we need. And so, it, it takes Christian leaders and puts them in this place of authority where they're going to have to tell us how to live and how to, how to, to be, and it takes away all um, personal responsibility and all of our Christian liberty to make these decisions um, for ourselves. If you're on social media, I know we do. We actually do have listeners that aren't because I get an email every once in a while, mm-hmm. but you'll see some of these extremes. And I think we've talked before about why legalism can be attractive. And I, I think we all have to protect ourselves from that. There, there are people in some of those circles that say the only biblical way to educate your children is dot, 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 you know, mm. we, we talked about that parenting program that was popular in the nineties, growing kids God's way. And they took all kinds of Christian Liberty things and said, this is God's way. You must feed on this schedule. That's God's way. So sometimes I think even in those circles, uh, there, there is the aspect where they would like there to be no distinction between the church and the state and the state to punish for things like Sabbath breaking or, um, not honoring your parents and things like that. But then they also add all kinds of things that are really matters of Christian liberty. Absolutely. Um, and it it's very dangerous. So I guess as we wrap up, one of the things I really want to encourage everyone is with all of our differences, with everything being so polarizing is finding ways to to love your neighbor, to have more grace, to have more understanding, um, to think through some of these topics and what that might look like for you in your life. These are things that my husband and I have been talking about quite a bit. Um, I think on the on the political realm, in in a weird sort of way, it was kind of a blessing that my family was very strongly in one side of the political spectrum and my husband's family was very strongly like my father-in-law worked on presidential campaigns has gifts from past presidents strongly in another one and uh my husband and I were even registered I don't think we've ever been registered he's independent um the same party and and we don't fully agree on everything but we we agree on a lot and we respect one another and we have really really great conversations and sometimes I'll say wow that's really a good point I got to think about that some more because my husband is very wise so he probably is the right one um so I just think about these things I I just feel so strongly I just want Christians to do better to think about the things that are are important I think we've elevated a lot of things to great importance 
that shouldn't be like the the thing that breaks fellowship with somebody. And we're in danger of making many things into idols. I mean, it's great point. You know, if if your if your world ends because a political thing happens or doesn't happen, then politics is is becoming an idol. And that's, I mean, we should. It's not saying that we should never care. I mean, obviously, we do care very deeply what happens, and we should. But it shouldn't take away our hope, and it shouldn't be where all of our hope is. And if you have ended a relationship because you voted for somebody different, maybe just think on some of the things that we've talked about today. Because uh, I have just heard so many of those stories, even in Christian mm-hmm. circles. So. Whether your family, for instance, or your friends are Christian or non-Christians, you still are to love them and find ways to be at peace and with them. So, well, we're going to kind of continue this discussion next week, a little bit different. We have a a special guest that's going to join us. So, we will be back next week. Thanks for joining us.